Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Monday, July 22nd, and we've got a great show for you today. Special guest James Henderson from Inside Pack Sports joins the show. We break down all things NC State, talk a little bit about their expectations for 2019, uh, what Dave Dorn has meant for that program, you know, where they're at, and, uh, you know, if I'm the rapid fire second at the end there. Uh, we also, uh, we're going to hit on ACC kickoff, media day, whatever we want to call it. Uh, nothing big going on, but always, always fun to talk about. But first off, Tim, what's going on? Oh, you know, not a lot. Just sitting here in the kitchen uh, watching the Toronto Argonauts and the Calgary Stampeders play football. Um, and I don't think anybody gives credit to Canadian football for how absolutely strange it is. Yeah, I mean, it's like a completely different sport. Yeah, I mean, you've got wide receivers taking what look like 20-yard run-ups to the line of scrimmage before the ball is snapped. The end zones are absolutely cavernous. I mean, Boy, the dimensions it's, it's on like this a, field. It's like it's a crazy. participation trophy. Right. And then and then they've got the 1920s field goal, which is in the field of play, which I actually like that. I think we should have obstacles in the field Talk of play in regular football. about safety liability, though. I mean, I understand the end zones, like, you know, the size of an actual NFL field. But right. it still seems dangerous to have, like, a pole just sitting right there in the field of play. Like, yeah. Houston Astros level stupid. Well, look, iconic ACC footage in the annals of ACC history. Fitting that we have James Henderson on. Uh, Devontae Edwards, uh, maybe it was 2001, caught a slant over the middle and ended up running into the goalpost and there wiping himself out. It's fantastic. But uh, right now, around this time of year, Canadian football, last chance you coming out tomorrow. These are my gateway drugs leading up to the bender that will occur uh, the first week of college football season. Yeah, so I've never actually watched Last Chance U. I've heard good things, um, and we'll occasionally see some news breaking about former coaches or players that have been featured on the show. Um, not necessarily all good things, but, you know, I'm a QB1 guy this time of year. The uh, high school football show on Netflix featuring uh, three quarterbacks, our favorite, Tathan Martell, was featured once upon a time. <laughs> Tathan. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the HBO series Ballers. Um, yeah, sure. You know, it's uh, it's it's really not that great of a show, but I I watch it anyways because there's no other football this time of year other than that. But you, you take what you can get. You know, Tim, I I mentioned earlier I was uh I was in the great state of Arkansas, Woo-Pig uh, Suey last week, and uh, first off, a Woo Pig Suey did break out at the event I was at, which of course I'll tell takes. you it was absolutely terrifying, um, <laughs> because it just I didn't know what was happening at first, and the old woman <laughs> doing it like looked like she was performing voodoo, and it freaked me out. Like, I had a nightmare about it. SEC country is wild, man. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Wild. It's insane. But, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out a lunch spot. You know, our event ends on uh, on Tuesday, and, you know, we got something else later that night. So we're like, you know, let's go get some lunch. And somebody's like, how about sushi? And so my first thought was, okay, I can do some sushi. It's not what would immediately come to mind in, <laughs> in Rogers, Arkansas, but okay. So we used our handy-dandy uh, friend Yelp. And, uh, you know, found a good spot. And so we pull up to this parking lot and just in a old kind of rundown looking strip mall. And it's basically the only thing there. And it just says sushi on the outside. It's got like <laughs> three open signs in the in the window. The blinds are all kind of broken up and bent up. <laughs> so we're like, God, you know, <laughs> this is kind of off to a rough start. I was like, well, we're here. Let's walk in. Let's see what it's about. We walk in. It was it was the most unbelievable scene I had ever expected because it was like we came into the middle of a football game and we were standing right on the 50-yard line and all the action was taking place right around us. I mean, the waitresses literally had on headsets, Tim. And 
Yeah. We were sat down in the first probably 30 seconds upon arrival. The second we sat down, boom, we have our drinks. And I, I ordered a Diet Coke, had it in like 10 seconds. Boom, we have an appetizer on the table in under 10 seconds. In under 60 seconds, we came in, sat down, were mesmerized, had drinks, had an appetizer. Then we ordered seven sushi rolls, Tim. One of which had soft shell crab. Hmm? Which okay. isn't your traditional sushi, obviously. It's not It's not a uh, raw fish, but it was spectacular, and it even had mayonnaise on it. And I'm not a mayonnaise guy. We've distinguished yeah, that on other yeah. shows. Yeah, I mean, speaking as a mayonnaise guy, that sounds fantastic. Spicy mayo and sushi go together better than peanut butter and jelly. It sounds like raw pandemonium. It was probably the best sushi experience I've ever had. Well, good. I mean... It- as you expect in the great state of Arkansas, when I think high-quality sushi, uh, my first thought is a landlocked state. So Sometimes perfect. sometimes you find hidden gems, which uh, which we talk about with James a little bit later on. But, you know, Tim, we're, uh, we're, we're recording this on Thursday, and so we have just wrapped up ACC, the ACC kickoff, ACC Media Day, whatever we want to call it. Um, but... You know, nothing really major happened. It's really just about promoting the conference, drumming up some awareness, and obviously the uh, the ACC network was the talk of day one. Um, and so a couple of things were announced. One, you know, there's going to be a Friday night uh, preview show, um, two hours, hosted by uh, Jack Collinsworth, who happens to be Chris Collinsworth's son. So I don't know if um, you're familiar with him, but he, he hosts NFL Live. He's actually kind of a funny yeah. guy. He's like 20. Yeah, he is. I think he's like 22, 23, but um, that'll be something to watch. Uh, the The broadcast teams were announced. So we've got Dave O'Brien, Tim Hasselback, and Katie George as one group. Chris Cotter, Mark Herzlick, and Kelsey Riggs is the second. West Durham, Ronnie it. Jones, and Eric Wood is the third. Oh, I stand for West Durham. I mean, Tar Heel connections be damned. West Durham is the ACC as far as I'm concerned. And an absolute font of sports knowledge. What a really great guy. And he's got one of those voices that is just, it's powerful. I mean, I heard him broadcasting the game with an event that we were at. We got a chance to go into the booth. And the guy's voice fills up the room like a bad smell. It's incredible. Well, you make that sound like a bad thing. Well, it's a, maybe okay. Let's try this. He fills up the room like a good smell. Okay, okay. Yeah, like well the done. smell of bacon when it's cooked. Good, good rebound. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so you know, one of the things going on, I, I don't know what kind of cable service providers our our listeners have here, but you know, if you've got Directv, Verizon FiOS, Altice, which I've never heard of, yeah. Hulu or PlayStation View, guess what? ACC Network is coming your way. However. All other cable providers, such as AT&T, Uverse, Comcast, Charter Spectrum, and Dish, they don't have an agreement in place yet. So they're going to take this down to the wire. It sounds like there's a pretty good chance none of those are going to come to fruition. Sure. Um, And if that's the case, my assumption is you'll be able to stream this stuff, um, which I stream most of my ACC games anyways because I live in Chicago, and they're not on because it's mostly regional. But... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the uh, the ACC fans are going to appreciate that, Tim. So here's my only question there. I don't know if you will be able to stream it because let's say my cable package doesn't have the SEC network. If I go on to ESPN3 or watch ESPN and try to play something that is currently airing on SEC network, I wouldn't have access to it. Correct. That's concerned me to the point where I'm going to 
ditch YouTube TV, which stinks because I think YouTube TV is the absolute best platform out there for cord cutters. Um, so it's not my choice. It, it wouldn't be the first thing I'd like to do, but I, I just don't think that they're going to get the ACC network. At least if they are, it's going to go down to the wire, as you said. So I'll be either looking at, uh, right now I'm, I'm testing out a little PlayStation uh, view, and I think I'll test out some Hulu and see which one I like better. But just, just a shame because YouTube TV is such high quality. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know why. You know, you carry the SEC network, all right? I'm not, I'm not going to say you're biased, but again, the media SEC bias continues. If you carry the SEC network, there's no reason you wouldn't have the superior conference available. Well. How about the Longhorn network? What is that? I mean, yeah. get out of here. You know what? Karma. That's karma. What's happened since they've started that long, Longhorn network? Their football program is in the dumps. Well, you know what? That's what happens when you're narcissistic. That. Um, so there really weren't too many storylines, uh, Tim this week, you know, I, I think honestly the biggest storyline that I pulled out was Clemson was the talk of day one. And we had the Alabama players talking about how, uh, you know, they just didn't prepare well enough. Uh, Georgia was a better team, the better team that they Get played last here. year, which is absolutely comical. You lost by 28 points. Uh, <laughs> I think you should probably shut your mouth. Uh, and then number two, we've got... Virginia, which continues to be everybody's darling choice for the Coastal Division this year, which, you know, still kind of blows me away. I'm not being a homer here, but they've done absolutely nothing other than be pretty pretty bad teams, teams that they're probably supposed to be. A couple of good wins here and there. Have a really good quarterback, I get that. Um, Have a solid defense, um, but they still have quite quite a few question marks on the offensive side of the ball and you know we've got a year of tape on Bryce Bryce Perkins so we'll we'll see what uh we'll see what happens but um we didn't have any official polls from the from the conference released so we haven't seen what the official ACC preseason picks are but um if you just kind of read some of the reporters out there Virginia seemed to be the overwhelming favorite yeah and from a coastal I, standpoint not from I don't, I don't understand that maybe I'm looking too much at to, at to last year's results instead of just the surface, which is, hey, they had a nice winning year. Um, I understand what's coming back for them, and I'm not, I wasn't thoroughly impressed with the defense when they were playing good teams last year, at least good offensive teams. So, I mean, the, the jury's still kind of out on that for me. Um, yeah, they, they're definitely not my favorite, and, you know, I, I don't think that we're going to see a Virginia team win the Coastal, um, knock on wood. I certainly hope that we don't, but I think just from an, uh, a rational perspective as well, not just the bias speaking, um, I don't see the Cavaliers up there. Um, so a couple of notes around the Hokies, Tim. So, you know, the quote that stood out to me the most was from Dalton Keene, and I'll, I'll summarize, but, you know, basically he said, Dalton Keene, for those that aren't familiar, is the uh, H-back tight end for the Hokies. Um he was part of the ACC kickoff. He was there in Charlotte with Reggie Floyd and uh, Justin Fuente. And he talked, he talked a lot about the team struggles last year and um, kind of when asked about some of the, some of the bigger games and why they lost them and, you know, why they lost by so many. He, he basically just said they got complacent and uh, you know, that's something that he thinks has been eliminated this year. And, you know, the one thing that really stood out was he said a lot of guys weren't excited to be there. And I think right. we've had a total attitude shift in that aspect. Every everyone wants to be here, so I thought Good. that was a uh, 
probably an underrated quote from the weekend that I wanted to highlight for Hokies fans out there. Um, it does feel that the guys that they have there now were, are the right players. Um, obviously, last season was a disaster in more ways than one. Um, but it seems like the character has shifted towards the right direction. You know, all these players are, are listening to the coaches. They're excited to be part of the program. You know, they fit what everybody's trying to do. It's what Virginia Tech's about now. So yeah. let's see those results translate on the football field and everything will be hunky-dory in Blacksburg. Agreed. I mean, we've, we've covered this before in the podcast leading up to this one about how uncharacteristic those losses were. And it wasn't just the absolute ass kickings that uh, we received that made them so different. It was the manner and the lack of fight that we saw from the Hokies team that was the most disturbing thing. Um, so it's good to hear him mention some of that stuff. And obviously, I'd hope that they'd be aware of that. Um, but the fact that he sees some improvement being made on the character side, on the culture side, I like that a lot. Because that's what's going to keep us where we were and where we have been. Um, and not have an issue where we're going to end up spiling out of control because of maybe some, some issues on the team uh, going on behind the scenes. So I, I certainly appreciate the candidness of his answer. And uh, I was pretty happy to read that. Uh, so some more good news. Jeremy Webb, uh, cornerback, former four-star uh, junior college recruit, has been cleared to play. So this is a guy who's coming off of two pretty severe Achilles injuries uh, in both legs. Uh, one rupture, one tear, I believe. Um, and according mm. to Fuente, smashed his first workout. So uh, that's something to watch. It sounds like that Jeremy is slated to be uh, one of the two starting corners along with Caleb Farley. So... Um, if he can do that and come back from two Achilles injuries, I mean, that's yeah. uh, that's pretty incredible. So Look, that'd be great. We certainly uh, needed another physical corner opposite Farley uh, last year. Watts really struggled uh, with the physicality of, of wide receivers, and, and Webb, big guy. So uh, hopefully we can get him on the field and have yeah. him make some plays. Six foot four. Whew. Like, that just, you don't see that a lot. No, at the quarterback position, and and Caleb, he's not a he's not a small guy either. So no, 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 and that's what I mean. So that that would be great for lining up uh, on those split ends. And there's something I like about a tall wide receiver. I mean, Brandon Browning, not great anymore, but he he had a solid two to three years with the Seahawks. And seeing a guy that tall lining up on the outside, pretty cool. Um, also, no update on uh, Brock Hoffman or Braxton Burmeister yet uh, from their transfer decisions, but Fuente said he's hoping to hear soon. So Good deal. That is, uh, that's basically all we had from the ACC kickoff. Again, it's just kind of a glorified pep rally a little bit, um, and so it was a lot of, uh, a lot of news and uh, trying to build excitement around the ACC network, which has been the case for probably about five years now. Um, <laughs> so... We've got a pretty good interview for you. Uh, we had uh, Inside Pack Sports, James Henderson, uh, founder of the site, on to talk about NC State football. So, you know, NC State's a program that, uh, you know, Tim has followed closely throughout his life. And uh, one that we, uh, you know, talked to James about is being very comparable to a program like Virginia Tech in more ways than one. So, uh, kind of fun to talk about some of those similarities and kind of where they're at from a program standpoint. So Doran is a guy heading into his seventh year, uh, has really turned the tide on the on the program, especially from a recruiting standpoint. And, you know, maybe a little bit of a reset this year, but maybe not. Um, so we talk about that. And, um, yeah, otherwise, I think it was just a uh, a good interview with James. Yeah, no doubt. It was definitely a great interview. And uh, 
yeah, we look look forward to talking to you guys on the backside. So just uh, just a reminder, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, we're Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. And uh, if you don't mind, go ahead, leave us a review, subscribe, and uh, let us know how we're doing. But uh, right now, here's James Henderson. Okay, we welcome on James Henderson from Inside Pack Sports. James, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, guys, I appreciate having me on. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, just before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about Inside Pack Sports, how it got started, your involvement, and uh, we'll go from there. Right. You know, I was at um, another NC State website uh, for probably about 15 years um, covering NC State athletics. And in 2017, I decided to, to just start my own. Um, we were part of a network, the uh, the 247 network originally, or originally we were at Scout and then they merged. I don't know if you if your listeners are familiar with Scout Rivals. I imagine they are, but um, right. but we were with Scout and and they merged with 247. And I just kind of wanted to really just run an independent website. I had that opportunity to do so, and and we started um, Inside Pack Sports in in 2017, actually uh, July 24th. So we're coming up on our two year anniversary. Really excited about it. You know, things are going great. Yeah, it, uh, it actually feels much more established than that as as kind of a an outsider because you know I'm I'm a guy with a Virginia Tech background my right. entire life, but Tim is he's an NC State guy, born and bred, and a Hokie uh, by adoption of a degree. But um, yeah, it just feels like when you go on your site, it feels like it's been there for probably five, ten years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think a lot of that's because. Um, you know, we already had a following. And so it was just kind of moving to a different platform and, and um, just making sure everybody or a lot of the folks knew where you were going. We're still trying to reach everyone. It's amazing to me how, you know, you can lose some people now, even with social media online, but, um, sure. but yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the vocal posters at our previous site, they were able to come over with us. Um, and it's just kind of made the community really, really kind of get going right away. Awesome. So, you know, we're here obviously to talk about NC State, uh, kind of get your uh, get your insight into the program. So, you know, first things first, Dave Doran. Why don't you kind of talk about him and and what he's meant for the program over the last few years, and uh, kind of how how you see it uh, progressing under Doran. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's really settled in. You know, uh, it's funny we just had the ACC football kickoff, and and I was surprised. And it really just hit me, you know, when they announced that Dave was going into his seventh season because, I mean, seven Crazy. years seems like a long time. And yeah. I don't know really where he ranks among ACC coaches. He might be in the top three or four right now um, just with as much turnover has gone on over the last couple of years. Um, in turn, and I mean rank in terms of years, obviously not not necessarily who's head, top head coach or whatever. But, um, you know, I think he's he has his program on solid foundation, you know, back-to-back nine-win seasons. Um, 11 ACC wins the last two years uh, in the Atlantic Division, which, you know, obviously I consider the Atlantic to be the harder division. And we, that may be a discussion we may have to have. but um, <laughs> No question. But, you can take yeah, that one. Yeah, just 11, 11 wins in, in the last two years. And and the, I think they've put – I think they had 12 guys drafted the last two years. So he, he's really doing a great job of developing talent and also winning games i think right now is going to be the true test for him and showing is he going to be able to is he going to be able to just continue to build on what he's doing or will this be a true rebuilding project when you look at what they've lost the last couple of years yeah i mean that'll that's something to watch right and i you know your comment about the atlantic i would definitely agree over the last few years it seems like though this year the atlantic is kind of 
taken a little bit of a step back. Not really sure what to expect with Syracuse and the quarterback replacement there. And, you know, that's a program that just had kind of a flash in the pan last year. Uh, but NC State, you know, they're they're replacing a lot of guys. But before we jump into that. Um, Fantasy just, draft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, just kind of want to touch base. So we've got, you know, we're two Hokie alums and we always get a lot of questions. You know, how does NC State or excuse me, how does Virginia Tech stack up against uh, some of the other programs in the in the country as far as the facility standpoint, revenue? You know, it feels like to me, Virginia Tech and NC State are or along the same lines. Would you agree with that? And and how would you kind of view NC State relative to other programs in the ACC? You know, I do. I think um, I, I think NC State is really, I mean, there's a lot of core values, I think, between both programs that makes them, uh, I would say, comparable. Right. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I've, I've had a lot of buddies who are, are kind of in, in, in a lot of folks' situations where they, they're NC State fans and Virginia Tech fans. I think a lot of it comes down to degrees. You know, they have a, they offer a lot of the same degrees, whether you're looking um, undergrad or postgrad. And, and sure I've, you know, some people go to VT for undergrad, may go to state post uh, postgrad and, and then vice versa. And I think because of that, you have, you know, fans that that kind of really can coexist. Um, and so I think there's a lot of natural ties there. I mean, land grant schools, I believe tech schools that make them real appealing and, and, and really comparable to each other. And, and I think when you look at the two programs as a whole, especially under Frank Beamer, I imagine um, uh, Fuente is trying to do the same thing, but you know, you always, I know me following Virginia tech, even before they were in, in the Atlantic coast conference, I just considered them a grind, a grind school, you know, tough, physical, hardworking. Um, and I think, when you look at what Doran is wanting to have at NC State, I think it's very similar to kind of what Frank Beamer had um, going for so long at Virginia Tech, and and I think that's why for me the the the, the comp is so um, is so obvious is because of a lot of the same traits I hear from this current coaching staff I really saw all those years at Virginia Tech. Yeah, and and coming from a guy who um, <clears throat> really didn't miss many games at Carter Finley growing up. Uh, then to my freshman year, uh, get to experience Virginia Tech and follow the, both programs as closely as I do. Uh, they're really good analogs for one another. Um, you know, as you mentioned, similar schools. They both uh, have a main rival who's a public Ivy, or at least sees themselves as a public Ivy. Um, and you know, it it, it felt like a, a glove fitting in at Virginia Tech just because of you know my upbringing as a as a Wolfpacker and uh, going to games with my dad. You know, my family are all NC State grads, so. Um, I think you're right, and I think they're really similar. It's interesting, though, um, what Dave has done at, at at NC State has been really, really similar to the program that uh, Beamer built at Virginia Tech. Um, and honestly, he he's doing a little better job of it right now, I think, than, than even Fuente maybe, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I agree with you. And, and again, I don't I'm not going to be able to speak as well on Fuente as you guys. I'm sure you're you're going to probably give me information that I don't really know as much about Virginia Tech, but I know at NC State for Dorn, I mean, it was a complete rebuild. Um, you know, when he yeah. took over the program, they bottomed it it bottomed out his first year, three total wins. Um, and he had to just kind of go out and really recruit, you know, at NC State again a lot like Virginia Tech. You're in a state that that doesn't historically put out a ton of elite talent. I mean, and I'm saying relative to California, Florida, Texas, oh, yeah. et cetera. 
And, and so you have to fight to keep your, your top players in state. And I think over the last three or four years, Doran was able to do that. And a lot of that has to do with the struggles North Carolina was going through um, as well. But but I think because of that, he's been able to to really rise the, uh, raise the talent level at NC State. And, and he kind of hit it the last two years with those uh, nine-win seasons. And and I know NC State fans are ex- were expecting more the last two years, um, just just with the way each each of those games played out. I mean, I think some thought maybe he could have won ten the last sure. two seasons, but I- I'm right there with you, man. I think I think the true test for Doran is going to be this year and going forward because there's a lot of really good young talent on the roster, but you know I think those those high level programs or once you really arrive is when you can sustain a bunch of losses and and still win eight, nine, ten games. And I right. think that's going to be a question for State this year because, like I said, I mean, they've had, uh, I think, 12 guys drafted the last two years. They've lost a total of almost 20 starters on both sides of the ball the last two years. So this team's going to be young. But if he can if he can win this year, I mean, going forward, I think they're going to be scary. Yeah, I think so too. And this is the last comp I'll make to Beamer, hopefully, yeah. uh, you know, so we don't keep doing that all episode. Right. But one of the things Beamer did that was fantastic in sustaining Virginia Tech long term was locking down and identifying talent in the state um, and succeeding with it. And, it. and it hasn't quite been uh, to that level recently for Virginia Tech. On the flip side of that coin and kind of what I was mentioning with, uh, you know, Doran may be pulling a better Beamer than Fuente is. Doran has been doing really well in the state of North Carolina and really, really great at identifying talent and talent that fits in with what I think is the most important thing with NC State is the culture. And I think he's got that absolutely nailed on. Yeah, I'll give you guys a crazy stat, or at least I think so. Um, I think the last uh, three years, NC State has had uh, 11 All-ACC players. And um, I mean, that's first, second, or third team. And and only one of them was a four-star recruit you know, in terms of the recruiting services, just one kid that was Naheem Hines. Everybody else was a two or three star player. And I mean, we're talking multiple guys who were first team all ACC, Um, you know, uh, Garrett Bradbury won the Remington award last year for the nation's best center. He was a two star recruit in state tight end, right? Right. As a tight end, NC state and Colorado state were his only two offers. Um, They developed him into, you know, a first round draft pick. And, and so, I think I think when you're at a, a place like NC State, maybe to a lesser degree Virginia Tech, just because I think under Beamer they've been able to establish they were able to establish so much tradition right. that I think they've got a bigger national name than NC State. But but especially at a place like NC State, you have to not only try and keep those top players that you landed in the state, but you also have to find guys and develop them if you're sure. going to truly win. And I think he's been able to kind of do that the last last couple of years, and so. I think for state now they got to see can that continue absolutely yeah and i mean virginia tech obviously did that under beamer as well if you just think of guys like cam chancellor cody mm-hmm. Grimm, just over the years that really contributed and you know went on to have nfl careers but you know one of the things with tom o'brien is he kind of left somewhat of a bear cupboard and as oh. you mentioned you know doran came in three wins in his first season but has reeled off five straight bowl wins and you know he's been able to find those diamonds in the rough because other than the last two years where he's had recruiting classes in the top, you know, top 30 of the country, you know, he did have a couple of classes that were in those fifties from a Mm -hmm. ranking standpoint, but he was able to pull in, you know, some of those, some of those guys that he was able to shape in and, and build to kind of fit the mold of, of what he was looking for, but kind of going forward, you know, how hard do you think it's going to be to recruit guys to NC state with three other programs in the ACC 
within it, within the state of North Carolina, all relatively close proximity with, you know, Wake Forest isn't necessarily a recruiting threat, threat but right. Dave Clawson's doing a pretty nice job uh, yeah. up there in Winston-Salem. And, you know, Mac Brown is, is Mac Brown. So I think he's probably the biggest threat from taking more of the higher profile guys. Right. Um, and then you always got David Cutcliffe. But, you know, what do you what do you see as the biggest threat um, with Mac Brown kind of coming to town to, to Chapel Hill? Well, I, I think obviously with North Carolina, it comes down to the national brand. You know, I've I've covered NC State recruiting or actually I first started covering NC State back in 2002 and and just looking at them compared compared to North Carolina from a recruiting standpoint I mean that's all the way back to when John Bunting was the head coach in North Carolina mm-hmm. and I mean they were winning two three games a year and landing three top 10 players in the state you know I mean it's, it's like they're, they're going to land talent they landed you know top 25 top 30 classes under Larry Fedora when they were struggling because mm-hmm. they have such a national brand and and a lot of it's due to basketball but they can go to Florida, they can go to Georgia, they can go, you know, um, uh, to a lot of places and just sell that North Carolina name and get recruits. And then in state, I still continue, I still consider North Carolina to be a, a basketball state. And, right. and, and because of that, uh, so many of the, the kids that grow up in the state, they want to be basketball players. And, and so you're either a Carolina fan generally or a Duke fan. And it's funny because I, I've had state assistants in football tell me in the past, you know, we really try to recruit those Duke basketball fans hard, <laughs> or, you know, just because that's awesome. Just because they're probably not going to want to go to Carolina, but that's kind of how what state has to has to battle against is. Um, I, I think even if you take Mac Brown away from it, I think State and Dorn and his staff they always feel like North Carolina is going to recruit well. So when UNC recruits well under under Brown, they're not going to be surprised by it or or. Uh, concerned with it they they feel like they have to get guys who they feel like can play can fit in their system play well and, and they can develop I mean I've seen guys the last two years at NC State they're at a point now with the staff with this staff to where they trust their evaluation so much they're not offering four-star recruits in the state or in the surrounding states because they feel like um they feel like they don't fit what they do so they're looking you know to go in a different direction. And I think that speaks to how well they value their player development. Do you think uh, having to take classes might affect North Carolina's recruiting ranks? <laughs> it should, forward? right? Yeah, it should. <laughs> yeah. No, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's a lagging <laughs> indicator. We'll see. But, I mean, I think you're absolutely right as far as Dave goes. And obviously the proof is in the pudding with his evaluation and the staff's ability to evaluate. Um, but that, that's a perfect point you bring up as far as the culture and what North Carolina does. It, it adds to the rivalry when they come in with all those top, top-ranked top recruits in each year. Not each year, but they're consistently having underperforming seasons, sub-500 seasons. And then at the end of the year, whether it's in Carter-Finley or uh, you know Keenan, uh, recently at least, we've gotten to see NC State not only with seemingly a much better mentality, uh, but a team that's physically worn down the Tar Heels, which to me has just filled my heart with so much joy, I can't even express it. But, um, you know, hopefully it'll continue. And that's why building the culture for me at State is so important is because you're getting those guys who aren't necessarily the top-ranked recruits, uh, but they're going out there and leaving it all on the line for NC State. And there's there's no quit in that football team. Yeah, and I think, um, again, it goes back to the culture you're trying to build in your program, right? Um, I, yep. I assume Fuente's trying to do the same thing at Virginia Tech. I mean, he's still really – and, and man, he I, I always thought 
I think in coaching, the toughest job you can have is replacing a legend. I'm sure you guys have probably heard that, but mm-hmm. that that's why you rarely see that, that first guy succeed because there's so much pressure there on him. So I hope he can get it turned around and get it going, you know, to the, to the level they want it to go there at Virginia Tech. But, I mean, it, with Dave, it, it goes back to building building the roster and building the team around the way he wants to play. And you're right. I mean, we've had game. We've seen games over the last couple of years. I remember a game. Um, I think it was at North Carolina. Probably maybe maybe twenty. It was a 2016 game, I believe. Um, NC State threw the ball 11 times mm-hmm. and and won, I believe, 35-7. You yeah. know, just just ran the football 45, 50 times in that game, just because they could. And I've seen I've seen Virginia Tech go to Carolina do it again. I hate to keep going back to comparing <laughs> the teams, but it's That's really similar. so similar because yeah. I remember a game I think between Virginia Tech and and North Carolina a few years back that right it was either right during the hurricane or right after in Chapel Hill. Mm. And oh, it was during. Yeah, it was during. Yes, yeah, they, they had the Notre Dame game. Yeah, and and I mean Virginia Tech just just ran out, trampled them. Yeah. And and yeah, I think. Mac Brown at Carolina, he's going to be able to recruit well. The key for him is going to be, can he change the culture at UNC? Because I, I believe the culture at UNC is soft. It is. And I think that's where the, especially NC State and North Carolina differ is, you know, and I hear it a lot on the recruiting trail. North Carolina, one of their biggest uh, pitches on the recruiting trail, we'll see it at junior days. They'll, their big junior day is always going to be for the Duke-North Carolina basketball game. And for NC State, their big junior day, they don't even have a basketball game. They bring kids up, sell their football program, don't stress basketball, stress what they have. And I think those are the two, that's kind of like a small difference, but it kind of, I think, gives you an idea of what those two programs are trying to sell. And I think with UNC, it's more flash, you know, come here, you can you can watch Jordan Brand, we'll get you Jordan cleats, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas at NC State, it's like, look, if you're not, you know, if you're not all in on football, you know, go go to UNC or go somewhere else where, you know, the other things matter. And I think I think that's that's the way state has to approach it if they're going to be successful. Yeah, and it's it's so great too with with uh, UNC adding the uh, Jordan logo onto the basketball uniforms, right. like a few other schools have. Now it's poetic. It's just like, all right, boys, we're not even going to pretend anymore. Just slap MJ on those jerseys and let's get out there. Right? Yeah, yeah. They don't even, you know, let's let's just go out. I mean, it's it, man, it's something I've seen, you know, for years. And 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 if I'm Mac Brown, that's the one thing I would have to try and change over there is they have to make it to where their culture is about football because I, I really believe Carolina sh- with the way they naturally recruit, they should be a good football program. Yeah, They really should. Um, You know, like I said, the coastal, I think Miami and Virginia tech can get back. I don't know if necessarily anybody's going to get to Clemson's level right now, but I think yeah. Miami and Virginia tech can get back to where they're top 10, top 15 teams. And for the league, that'll be the best thing that'll happen. But until that happens, I mean, why can't UNC or why shouldn't UNC be, be right there in the mix to win that division? Yeah, they totally should. Totally should. Yeah, I'd kind of expect to see the paradigm shift a little bit in the ACC where in the next two years outside of Clemson, because Clemson's still going to be there, uh, the Coastal is probably the best overall division um, in in the league. But, you know, maybe that means the Atlantic will will be good as well and we'll see a improved product across the ACC. Because this year, I mean, I'm not expecting a whole lot of big things from from all the programs. I still expect Clemson to pr- probably be in the college football playoff, but outside of that, 
you know, just a bunch of mid-tier bowls, and maybe we'll have one surprise in there in the Virginia Tech, Miami, and doubtfully uh, the UVA program, but we'll see. I think Florida State's going to be sneaky, too. I think they'll be a little better than we're expecting this year, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it could turn out to be another uh, dumpster fire like it was last year. So, you know, recap in the spring um, and kind of heading into the summertime, you know, there seems to be probably more questions than answers at this point for NC State, which is common this time of year. But, you know, only 10 seniors on the team, super young and uh, a little bit of a different philosophy on offense. So can you just talk about what the uh, Des Kitchens, George, George McDonald joint hat wearing combo um, is like for NC State and whether or not that's a good thing? Yeah, that's going to be the big question, right? Um, I know, I mean, Eli Drinkwitz was NC State's coordinator for three years and, I mean, had three really good success, really good offensive seasons with Ryan Finley at quarterback. And and I think the good thing for NC State is this change has kind of come um, at the same time you're transitioning in a new quarterback because now I expect State to really try and tailor their offense and their system around what their upcoming quarterback can do well. And, and I know just looking back to the spring game, for instance, I saw a lot of – um, zone read, which you, you're not going to get from Ryan Finley. Um, no. I saw a lot of that in the spring game. I saw a lot. I saw a lot of four wide, re- four wide receiver sets. So now you've got your running back running out of a um, or running through a light box, which was something mm-hmm. State didn't do a lot. You know, the last two or three years, they they constantly would keep a tight end or or an H back in um, in tight as an as an additional blocker. And I think they're looking to kind of spread the offense out under the new coordinators and and really see if they can kind of generate yards that way. Because I think the last two years, NC State's passing game was kind of a blessing and a curse. You know, I mean, last year, I want to say they were the first team in ACC history to have two uh, first-team all-ACC receivers. And um, and that's a good thing. But but I think at times, as a coordinator, you can get too, too reliant on that. And, mm-hmm. um, and it, it often became a situation where it was like, okay, well – We've got Kelvin Harmon. Uh, third and five. Let's let's let him win his one-on-one battle and throw it to him. So as opposed to trying to really scheme stuff open, you were trying to constantly have to win one-on-one battles, and you're not always going to be able to do that. And so my hope for NC State is this year with a new quarterback, new offense, um, new weapons on the outside. I think they're going to have to be more creative offensively and 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 look to manufacture a better offensive game. And I think I think these two guys can do that. Yeah, and and as you mentioned, it's a perfect time to break in a new coordinator situation. Um, give it up to Drinkwitz. Drinkwitz was a very good offensive coordinator at the time at NC State. But as you mentioned, especially recent or recently, uh, it seems he fell in love with the pass on occasion, uh, at the detriment of of to what I think the uh, the vision and the objective for NC State, at least in Doran's words, uh, leading up to the season before last, I believe, he said the goal was to always try and be around 50-50 at the end of the game in a balanced run-pass offense, which I think is a great thing, especially if you have the offensive line to pull it off, which NC State, I think, does. Uh, speaks a lot to Ledford's ability to pull together a highly functioning offensive line, uh, and, and hopefully Garrison can continue that for NC State. Um, but I, I think that's going to be key for uh, for Dez, for McDonald to get in there and say, okay, we know we want to keep it balanced. Let's make sure we stay focused on on keeping the run healthy. Um, and I'd like to see them get the tight end involved more in the passing game, especially when you have a guy like Kerry Angeline, who's I think six seven, something like that, six six, right. huge red zone target. But I think you could use him, especially in the seam, and just really, really work him. And I didn't see that much last year from Drink, and that disappointed me a little bit. 
Yeah, when I was speaking with the with uh, Dez Kitchings, the um, in in right after spring spring ball, he he talked about how um, Angeline was going to be a focal point. Uh, he's six seven, tight end, uh, transferred to NC State from Southern Cal. Um, really talented guy. Uh, he just didn't get enough opportunities last year. I think last year we had him with thirteen targets. Yeah, it's crazy. And I mean, yeah, he's That's, a guy who. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the spring game, I think he had maybe four catches and a touchdown. I mean, I really think, you know, when you look at NC State's offense over the last two years, I mean, Jacoby Myers, or look back to last year, Jacoby Myers and Kelvin Harmon, each of those guys had over 100 targets. And right. so they're gone. So that that brings 200 targets back out there. And so now who do you who do you split them up to? And and I think I think Angeline's a guy who I could see having a breakout year for NC State just because they're going to look to to get him much more involved, and and when you have a new quarterback, they often look at they look you know short, middle before going wide, and, and I think either these running backs or you're going to see these coordinators try to break in their quarterbacks by getting the ball to the running backs, get the ball to the tight ends, sure. just because those are generally easier passes, easier reads, and so for me, Angeline is going to be a guy who I really believe can have. Um, a breakout year for NC State just because there's so many targets now open in this offense. And I'm not sure there's going to be a guy at receiver who's going to just step up and be a 120 target guy like they had two of last season. Right. And I think that's where you could see some improvement that and I hope NC State does um, another area. And I don't really know how to describe this because I, I don't know what the words for it are, but if we're talking about the vertical passing game, the past few years, it seemed like, especially with Kelvin Harmon, uh, making some fantastic plays down the field. Mm -hmm. They all seem to be jump balls to Kelvin where you turn around, find the ball and catch it. I'd love for state to start getting a vertical passing game. If they're going to be running uh, uh, maybe having a Thayer Thomas, a uh, Keon Lassane coming out right. and actually going vertical, catching it in stride. And I think that's where they could really uh, make some, some big moves are in the explosive plays department. So I'm hoping with the personnel we have, uh, and the fact that there's two new offensive coordinators coming in, that maybe they'll be able to work that in a little bit. Yeah, and and I think a lot of that was because, you know, um, State's receivers last year, they started Emeka Mezzi, Jacoby Myers, and, and Kelvin Harmer at, at receiver. All three of those guys right. are 6'2 or taller, 200 pounds or more, and not really burners. You know, Kelvin Harmon right. went to the combine, ran a 4'6". Jacoby Myers ran a 4'6". I mean that's not a great time at, at a combine. I mean that's right. just that's just not. not. And so, a lot of those vertical balls, like you said, they turned into jump balls because they didn't have the speed to separate. Now that that doesn't mean they can't make big plays, but I think one of the areas where NC State really tried to improve um, this year was getting quicker at receiver. And, and you mentioned Keon Lassane, a guy they brought in as a true freshman. Uh, they they've talked really highly on him. Thayer Thomas, he's a four four kid. C.J. Riley, who's going to be replacing right. Kelvin Harmon out wide. I mean, he ran a 4-3 last week, um, a, la a laser time. And he's 6-4. I mean, he's a guy who could step up. And then the other kid they brought in was, um, I think, kind of slid under the radar. It's Tabari Hines, who transferred sure. to NC State from Oregon. Previously, he was a two-year starter at Wake Forest. Um, had a really big game against NC State a couple years ago. He's one of those kind of rare grad transfer guys in the slot. And, and – Man, it just felt like last year watching NC State play, even in the games they won, those slot receivers who are explosively fast were breaking 60, 70, 80-yard touchdowns. And I, and I think I saw some of that against Virginia, against Virginia Tech, too. Just, yeah. just quick guys in the slot now are so hard to defend with mm -hmm. with nickels and safeties. And I think State really tried to address their speed area, uh, their speed um, problems there. 
Yeah, and I, I think I think if that's the key right there is getting that production out of the slot, but not just in a yards and reception standpoint, but a scheme standpoint to get those slot guys in space open, but also involve them vertically because the vertical uh, routes coming from the slot uh, seem to generate a lot of big plays. And you know we we've been so focused on the the split ends and and throwing up jump balls. Jacoby right. out of the slot was dangerous. Um, but we could really work on that with some of those small shifty guys and, and state could get really good at, uh, uh, exploiting that in some mismatches against linebackers. So, uh, what about running back? So, you know, Bam Knight, Zonovan Bam Knight kind of really burst onto the, and onto the scene in the, uh, in the spring game and a guy who's, you know, a hair taller than, uh, Naheem Hines and maybe a shade slower, but you know, what do you think he can do in this offense in 19? I mean, they've they've been raving about him, man. Um, you know, he he had almost 200 yards in the spring game. Um, he just explosive, fast kid from Southern uh, Southern Nash High School here in North Carolina. In North Carolina, I think Virginia Tech was one of the schools he visited. Uh, Notre Dame was another. He was a mid-year enrollee, and I, I mean, last year Ricky Person averaged nearly five, nearly six yards per carry, and he just stayed banged up and. And I really would not be surprised if Knight doesn't win that job. I mean, I think he's a true three-down back. You know, he was the Shrine Bowl most outstanding player on offense. Um, Just a guy who adds that speed element to NC State. And, again, I keep keep harping on this. If you looked at State last year, one of their big um, issues, they lack overall team speed on offense at the skill positions. They were really, really productive, but they didn't have those – they didn't have a Naheem Hines last year who can break a 50, 60, 70 yard touchdown run. Right. And I think, I think Knight, he, he gives you that. I mean, he's a true, a true speedster at running back and, and state's going to try and keep, get him involved because they know, I mean, it, it's no secret what, what makes offenses like Clemson so special when you got a kid like Travis Etienne, it looks a lot different with him back there than when, than their four string running back. Right? And, right. and a lot of that's because of that four, three speed he has same thing at receivers at receiver for them. And so uh, I think State is going to try and get Knight involved. And if I had to pick one guy on their offense to be a breakout player, it would probably be him just because I don't think there's going to be a lot of buzz at all about him given persons returning. Um, And then quarterback. So you've got Ryan Finley that you're trying to replace. Um, And it sounds like Matt McKay might be in the lead heading into the summer, but you know, do you think he uh, is the guy that starts the season as a starter? And is there any chance we see NC State go to a two-quarterback system at any point? You know, I, I don't think they want to go to a two-quarterback system. But, um, uh, man, it's going to be tough because I don't know if they'll have that answer solved by the first game. I do think um, Matt McKay is in the lead right now just based on – the way the reps were divvied up in the spring game and how well he played in the spring game. He is the most experienced quarterback on their roster. But I think in fall camp, you know, the question is going to be how much progression has Devin Leary and Bailey Hockman made? Both of those guys were four-star recruits. Um, You know, like at Virginia Tech, I mean, I follow recruiting, so I know a lot about their talent. I mean, Quincy Patterson, I assume, is going to be pushing Willis. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, and if that's a similar situation you've got here at NC State, where the hope for NC State fans is Devin Leary, an elite eleven quarterback, is going to push McKay. But if not, I mean, I think McKay has shown enough to where I, I really believe they feel like he can go out and run the offense the way they want it ran. Yeah, and I mean that's right. That's key if you can get that guy to come in there. Um, 
maybe with some leadership qualities given his, his experience, but a, a guy the coaches will trust, uh, maybe not throw as many picks, uh, make the right reads in the right situations. And, you know, it is tempting to think about uh, having a guy back there who's a little bit more of a dual threat than State has had in the past. Um, and, and, you know, in the spring game, I was pretty impressed with McKay's arm, too. He can really sling the football. Yeah, yeah. He's. I mean, he's. he has all the tools you want. Uh, it's just, I mean, with all these kids at quarterback, it often comes down to how are they when the lights come on. I mean, right. you know, they can look good in practice. I and mean, I've seen it at NC State. You hear all these glowing reports about how a guy looks in practice and he gets in games and he's hit his first thing he's doing. He's looking at the defensive tackles. Sure. You know, I, is someone about to hit me? I mean, like, that, <laughs> right. that, yeah, you know, <laughs> and that's something that they have to get over. I mean, it's the, the best quarterbacks you see, their eyes are down the field. They're not worried about getting hit. They trust themselves. And, and, and if they can do that, I mean, they, they all have enough talent to go out and win. But so that that's going to be the key for state is finding a guy that can, can, can handle the offense and handle the pressure because I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on his shoulders, especially if he's named a starter. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think the pressure is interesting too, because as you mentioned, you know, there's, there's an elite 11 quarterback on the roster and, you know, regardless if he's ready or not, or how he performs in the summer, you know, fans are going to want to see that guy on the field. And I think Ryan Willis at Virginia tech is going through a similar thing with Quincy Patterson. And had it not been for Willis playing fairly well last year, I think, you know, it might be a little bit more itchy from the fan base, but you know, it's something to watch. I remember back when uh, Tim and I were in college, we had the, uh, the Sean Glennon, Tyrod Taylor uh, debacle. Absolutely. You know, Tyrod was thrown into LSU on the road, burned his red shirt at the time when you play a snap, your red shirt's gone. And, you know, that game turned into a disaster, but ended up making a making an orange bowl that season, um, kind of running the two quarterback system or at least a coaching staff that was fairly indecisive. So, you know, it can work out. But I think if, if these guys go in and play consistently, then those younger guys are going to have to wait one more year. Yeah, and I think I think for NC State, the hope is I, I, well, I can look back to 2016 under Dorn when when they had a, a quarterback uh, a quarterback competition, and what they did in the first game was Ryan Finley got the first two series, he went out and played extremely well. Jalen McClendon got the next two series, I believe, on the second series he threw an interception, yep. and from that point on, it was Ryan Finley, and he never he never let the let go of the job. And I'd imagine that's what you're going to see this year is I think even if a guy like McKay or, or Leary or whoever's named a starter, they're still going to give the, the other guy some reps and, and see how and, and just kind of let the games play it out. And, um, you know, I think I, I think sometimes as fans, I know I tell our, our readers, I, I think we we kind of overthink it. And, and it's because we're not in practices and we don't see what's going on day to day. But. I've had coaches tell me in the past, like, look, these things get played out in practice and to where it becomes a no-brainer on who the guy should be. Sure. And now, now if he gets it, again, if he can he get it done in the game, we'll have to see that. But I, I, rarely is it one of those deals where they go into the game, the first game, and you don't really know who the guy should be. Now, you know, injuries happen and different things like that, playing well in the games. But with so many practices and so many competitions that they hold within practices – they're going to have a good grasp on who their their quarterback's going to be, and I think right now it is it is going it, it appears to be Matt McKay. Uh, so what about defensively? You know, NC State, they're a team with a fairly unse- young secondary. You know, maybe some depth concerns at linebacker. You know, they're going to have to replace a guy like Jermaine Pratt on the defensive side of the ball. You know, it sounds like you're somewhat high on the offense, but right. 
you know, what's your biggest concern, you know, offense or defense and, and what should we expect from the NC state defense this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm really a lot higher on the defense than the offense. Um, I think, I mean, offensively, the concern's always quarterback. I mean, if you don't have one, you're not going to win. Yeah, uh, That's just – that's the easiest way to put it. I mean, if you don't have a quarterback who can go out and consistently play well, you're going to struggle to make a bowl game. I don't I don't care who you are. We saw it at Florida State. I mean, Florida State had talent at every other position but offensive line and quarterback, and they didn't make a bowl game. Um, or uh, I can't remember. Maybe they did. I can't remember. I know not last was, year. No. Yeah, not yeah, last no. year. Right. Yeah. And and so, it, it, for state, the, their question is: Can you find a quarterback? Uh, if they find one, they're going to be a team that's going to win eight, nine, ten games, in my opinion, because I think they have skilled players, and I think defensively, I mean, they've really recruited well the last three years. I mean, they've landed uh, multiple four-star players at at linebacker, defensive end, defensive tackle. Um, I think my last count, I believe for state, the last two years, they've landed 12, four star defensive players. And for them, that rarely, rarely ever happens. And so there's a lot of young depth that, that they're going to try and get on the field this year. They return a lot of talent, um, that played a lot last year, you know, both starting defensive ends return, uh, two of their top three defensive tackles return, you know, two of their, their, their two, their, um, two starting linebackers from the, from the final two games of the year return, um, I think they've got – I think I've got them with three um, three seniors and a junior projected to start in the secondary, all right. four multi-year starters. So, defensively, they should they should be solid. I mean, you know, and, and it's hard to say great because I'm, I'm one of those people who don't believe really anybody's going to be elite anymore on defense, you know, just because of the way <laughs> offenses are now in college football. I mean, crazy. you yeah. know, we joke about it on our boards all the time. I think Bud Foster is the greatest defensive coach maybe ever. And that doesn't stop Virginia Tech from getting shredded at times, no. just because you know. All <laughs> well, if you have a mobile are... quarterback, you know, right? That, that that's been Foster's Achilles heel. Achilles yeah, heel. And, and and if he can't figure it out, who can? You know, I mean, right. and and at the end of the day, it's hard now stopping with these zone reads, and you've got all this RPO stuff where you can block halfway down the field before throwing the football. I, I mean, it's hard playing defense, and so. I don't think NC State's going to be a defense that's going to go out there and, and just, you know, shut out teams. I, man, it's crazy how much has changed from – you guys probably remember Virginia Tech. I remember a game when State went up there and played um, – might have been 0-2. I think State had 10 sacks in that game. Oh, man. Yeah, Mario <laughs> um, Williams and Manny Lawson. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and the, the offenses back then, though, if you would go and watch that game versus now, it's like <laughs> they were playing They were playing in the, the Stone Age or something. I mean, you right. had – you know, you had the random fullback who had to be on the field 70 snaps for some reason and, and just pounding his head into the line every time. I mean, both sides of the ball. And now coordinators have got so smart on offense that that is just hard. It's hard to play defense. So I think State can be good. It's going to come down to can they turn teams over, I think. Right. So and, yeah, I was go just going to mention real quick, you know, it sounds like when Virginia Tech plays Wake Forest this year, you don't think we're going to have a repeat of that six to three double overtime loss? <laughs> no, no. One of my favorite photos, man, is the is the Beamer celebration. I know you guys probably. Oh, we love it. Yeah. Overtime yeah, it's, it's, celebration. Uh, it's was in it, my was it zero yeah. zero or what was yeah. it going to yeah. overtime? Yeah, it was zero yeah. zero yeah. zero zero. That was awesome. Uh, we should make that the picture of our podcast on iTunes, man. That's classic. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, so in order to get these turnovers, though, I think that's absolutely key. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do schematically, uh, given the change that they've had bringing over West Virginia's former defensive coordinator. 
Um, and, and we'll see if Tony is able to change some things. I know you, I mentioned, or you mentioned recently in a note, uh, that there was potentially going to be some three linebacker schemes introduced, or at least they were working on that. Um, what are your thoughts on switching to a three linebacker scheme? And do you see that as something that could, uh, be positive for NC state moving forward, or would you rather, uh, see state stick with the, uh, trusty, but hated on the message boards four two five? Yeah, I, I think you're going to see well, – well, it's funny because um, we had the uh, NC State's Lift for Life event this week, and it's basically – and I don't know if Virginia Tech does a version of it, but it's kind of a seven-on-seven, um, seven, one-on-one deal where they're basically raising money for uh, leukemia research. And so right. the media is allowed to go out to that. And it ends up being almost a glorified practice. You know, they get to do drills with their, with their position coaches beforehand, and then they do one-on-ones and seven-on-seven. Seven. But in the seven-on-seven seven section – session they're actually you know going through plays they're running plays on both sides of the ball and i'd say probably 90 percent of what nc state was doing defensively was with three linebackers and five uh defensive backs wow and and that's what you talked about uh tony um gibson coming from west virginia where he ran the three three five or the three three stack i think he called it yep um i think that's going to be i don't think i don't know necessarily if that'll be the base for nc state just because I know they, they they put so much pride on stopping the run game and and I probably they probably feel like they can do it with four down linemen, but I know in obvious past situations, you're going to see that. Um, and and I, I think that fits their their personnel well. They've recruited linebacker extremely well the last two years, and so I think you're going to see NC State really play a lot of uh, three three five next year. Yeah, and and that'll certainly be exciting. And Tony, a guy that's known for uh, generating turnovers. It's kind of hard to judge a guy that spent that much time coaching in the Big 12 as far as yards per game and, and points per game given up. I mean, that conference is an absolute uh, crap show when it comes to stopping the offenses, you know, defensively. So we'll see what he can do. I think that's a big story point. And I, Tony's a guy that's always after my heart with seeing the way he coaches during the game. He reminds me of Bud Foster um, in that regard, as, as passionate as and intense as he gets during the matches and you know, I'm excited to see that personally, just have that personality on the sideline from a defensive standpoint, I think will uh, it will be really cool to see. Um, and, and the depth is the key thing for me, I think, with NC State. And this is a testament to Doran and the program that he's able to build at NC State. Y you look at those positions, linebacker, defensive line, um, and you're talking about looking at the three deep is impressive. Um, coming from where NC State was with Tom O'Brien and when Tom O'Brien left, that is is such a paradigm shift of talent all over the field. And to me, that's the biggest testament to keeping Doran around, mm -hmm. to what Doran's done, to giving coaches more than three years to prove themselves. And hopefully we'll start to see more college coaches giving more leeway. Because honestly, Doran went through some tough stuff. We know uh, he's, he's had some tough ones and, and some criticism was was right and some criticism was wrong but where state is right now i don't think they'd trade it for anything and, and they're poised now uh to i think have an eight or nine win season um and keep that that momentum going and and we'll see what happens but defensively depth i think is just the key word for me there's so much on that side of the ball yeah and, and again it goes back to recruiting um when you when you're able to go out and say you had four defensive linemen drafted in the top four rounds of the nfl draft one of them bradley chubb was a top five pick that helps you recruit guys like Aleem McNeil, who had offers from Alabama and Clemson, you mm -hmm. know, or Savion Jackson, who had offers from Alabama and Clemson. I mean, it helps you recruit those types of guys. Yeah. And um, linebacker Jermaine Pratt was a third-round pick this year, All ACC player. I mean, they can they can use him now. I mean, I think 
it, it goes down to showing what you can do with guy with guys you recruit yourself. And then you're, it's a lot easier to go in those in those houses and 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 talk to those families and tell them what you can you can turn their son into. Sure. And so I think that's what is what's paying off right now for NC State. But you're right. I think the key is going to be can can they continue to build because you you know you don't want to you don't want to really take any sort of steps back. And and when you look across, I think Syracuse is doing well right now with Dino Babers, mm-hmm. but I think he's going to be in a similar situation. Um, can they continue to keep it on a, on a high le- high level? Um, you know, you mentioned coaches uh, not getting along le- leeway. Scott Schaefer before him got three years. You know, and right? Like, what mean, what three, can you do? Yeah, what three do years. Three I mean, years? okay, yeah, you're gonna probably get fired in three years at Syracuse. I mean, Babers yeah. could have been fired in three years. Dino, yeah. so, it definitely feels like Dino's in a prove it year because he had, you know, I think two four win seasons before last season, yeah. and I think they won ten games last year. So. Let's see what they can do without Eric Dungy this year, and you know, are they a team that can finish number two in the in the Atlantic? Well, yeah, and they got to replace the orange version of Jamie Barnett, and I don't know how you're going to do that. Dungy <laughs> was freaking incredible, man. I mean, right. an absolute warrior, Stud. absolute right. warrior, and yeah. that's a hard a hard position, as you've mentioned in this podcast, to to move on from. So we'll see. Yeah, I think Syracuse is one of those teams where um, if you're in the Atlantic. Uh, you know, I was t- we we did our podcast on kind of previewing the league uh, earlier in the week, and and really on that side of the division after Clemson, I mean, I think you can put probably everybody's name in a hat, and um and pull out a team that you can make a case for, uh, really finishing second in the in the in the Atlantic. And I think it's it's going to be that kind of wide open this year. Uh, so just to kind of summarize, you know, NC State replacing a starting quarterback all-conference running back, top three receivers, three offensive linemen, their best defensive player in Jermaine Pratt, defensive linemen, two defensive backs. What's their best case, worst case scenario for 19? Well, well, worst case, I think, is is the quarterback situation doesn't get resolved and, and um, you know, you don't make a bowl. Now, I mean, I think, man, I'd be, I'd be surprised if that's the case just because I think – there is so much, there is so much talent at other positions. They've been able to accumulate an experience on defense to where um, that really shouldn't be the case. I mean, you look at their schedule; they open with East Carolina at home, have Western Carolina at home. They go to West Virginia, who's probably got as much they've had. They've had as much turnover or more than NC State's had. Now that game won't be easy on the road in um, in Morgantown, but but I think State probably feels like they have a chance to win that game come back home to play ball state. So, I mean, you're, you're, their non-conference schedule is really not a lot to write home about. Um, yeah. And West Virginia is not what they have been. Right. That, so. and, I, and I would think with, you know, new head coach, new quarterback, I, I would think they're probably going to be a little bit of um, time, you know, it may take a little time, maybe year two, three for, for Brown to get it going there. But, you know, you look at the schedule. They got Louisville at home this year. They got Carolina at home this year, and those two were what, arguably the two worst teams in the ACC last season. So, I mean, when you're looking at their schedule, it's kind of hard for me to say they're probably not making a bowl. I mean, I just gave you what could be six wins, right? <laughs> you know, right. Um, right. with with maybe questionable quarterback play. So, uh, but I do think that that's probably the floor is in that five six wins win um, range. But then, then if you look, if they hit at quarterback. I mean, you know, obviously they're going to lose that. They're going to lose the Clemson, um, and they're not going to win the Atlantic because you're going to lose the Clemson. But 
I mean, I really don't see a game on their schedule where I, I don't think they can win. Uh, you look at their coastal, their, their two coastal games. They got they have Carolina at home, and they're at Georgia Tech, which I would imagine everybody picked Georgia Tech to finish last in the coastal, having to transition offenses like they do. Oh yeah. Um, so sure. you, it doesn't get any easier on paper than that, you know, from a coastal standpoint for NC State. So I think I could see them winning eight, nine, ten games this year if everything kind of falls in line for them. So just to wrap up before we finish up in the in the rapid fire segment. So we just had uh, Mary Dunleavy on from WRAL, sports reporter, who uh, who is a Hokie, um, somebody I knew from college. And, you know, she uh, she was talking about the NC State fan base and that they're probably the most passionate of any in the triangle, at least from a football perspective. Would you agree? And can you kind of describe what that NC State fan base is just from an engagement standpoint? You said she said they were the most passionate in the triangle. Uh, yeah, of any in the triangle of like the you know Duke or uh, North Carolina. Yeah, and Wake included. Oh, from a football standpoint, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't. It, it's it's not. I don't think it's close. I mean, yeah, people may say I'm biased, but you know, you're not going to be able to walk into NC State up to NC State games and buy tickets like you can at UNC. Right. And, what What and, about from from basketball? Because you know, obviously North Carolina Duke are, are national brands, but what about the state of North Carolina? Because at least in the Raleigh-Durham area, area, it feels like more probably NC State fans live there. Yeah, and I think a lot of that's because, um, I, like for instance me, I grew up outside of right outside of Fayetteville, which is about an hour away, but I, I came to NC State for college and I just stayed around, and so I stayed in Raleigh. And I think because you've seen um, – Wake Forest and Rollsville and different areas, Garner, Cary kind of grow o- over the last 20 years. I think it's it's enabled uh, alums to stay local. And so because of that, this area has really become a lot, uh, a lot more NC State based. But if you go, you know, out towards the beach or if you go down towards Charlotte, those that's more North Carolina country. You know, mm-hmm. I think out east, Greenville, Wilson, that's more NC State area. But, yeah, I mean, I think just from a pure fan base standpoint, I, I, I think – NC State sold out um, season tickets last year. I mean, they they operated at about 99% capacity, which in this era of college football is kind of rare, you know, with with so much going on in terms of being able to stream games and, and you know, just the, the home experience is almost better now than the game experience, you know, being able to watch games from home and, and not have to deal with a lot of stuff. So, yeah, yeah I, think, I think the fan base at NC State's a lot more rabid than um than the, than those other schools are right now but but they can you know i mean that can change um you know if those teams kind of get it going yeah absolutely and it's one of those things i noticed uh and i said it was the last virginia tech comparison i lied uh one more comparison growing up going to all those games at carter finley especially in the years that i was going to those games you know jimmy barnett early um, Philip Rivers towards the back end, it, you saw a passion at NC State that just didn't exist when you made those trips over uh, to Wallace Wade or to Keenan. But going to Virginia Tech, you, you see the same and similar passion in Virginia Tech fans. And I don't know where it comes from or, or you know why it is the way that it is, uh, but the passion, the, the absolute sheer passion that NC State fans have for the school i think is absolutely noteworthy and um you know state fans have a wrap around you know other acc schools of being a little bit crazy um and and i think a lot of that is just because of the passion that that 
the school is able to drum up in its supporters and in its fans, it's absolutely awesome. Yeah, well, look, you're, 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 NC State's a, a crazy place. I mean, you're talking <laughs> about a program that uh, – why are fans so crazy at NC State? Well, they haven't won a football championship, ACC championship since 1979. Sure. They haven't won a, a major ACC title in football, basketball, baseball, or women's basketball since, I think, 91. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. I mean, that's – you're approaching 30 years from winning a title. Sure. And so fans are restless, you know, I mean, that they want they want to win something uh, major. I mean, and and so it, when you get to that point, you can be kind of crazy. I mean, there's a reason, uh, you know, fans short for fanatic. Right. Yep. So. So, I mean, I think all fans for the most part are crazy. I, I truly believe it. If you're listening to podcasts like mine and yours, <laughs> you're you're yeah. a, you're a fanatic. You're a fan. Sure. And sure. um, and so I, I think that's that's what makes it it's special, though, is you have people that care that much. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. All right. So we, we always like to end with a little uh, rapid fire. Basically, just first thing that comes to your mind. A um, few questions for you here. So first one is a pretty obvious one. Reaction when hearing the name Chowder and Grits for the podcast. Hearing the name what? Chowder and Grits for the podcast. Well, I love Grits. <laughs> I don't know about I don't know about chowder and grits, but I love grits. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, best best grits in North Carolina. Yes. Um. What best grits? Yeah. Well, I mean, I just get I get cheese on them everywhere. I mean, I, I can't give you a specific place. It's everywhere. Big Ed's. I mean, I'm gonna go yeah, and bail them out yeah, on that. Big Ed's. Yeah. Big Ed's. You can't really beat. You can't Briggs. I love Briggs, which is up Briggs here. Briggs is good. You know. But yeah, yeah. Big Ed's. I'm. I'm. I, that's probably my go-to. Hey, Amen. Yeah. Big Big Ed's biscuits and gravy. Uh, grits, you really can't go wrong with that. But Briggs is amazing too. Uh, there are good grit spots in Raleigh, as you might imagine, Justin. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I, you know I'm you sure. got to ask for you got to ask for a nap after that though. No <laughs> bingo. Yeah. Uh, Bam Knight will win ACC Rookie of the Year. I wouldn't be surprised by it. I really wouldn't. I mean, I think he's going to have if he wins that job, he's going to have the opportunity. I mean, you look at NC State's offense the last three years. They've had three straight um, all ACC running backs, not just ACC, not ACC rookie of the year. I'm talking all of Matt Days, Naheem Hines, and Reggie Gillespie were all um, all ACC running backs, and that's not to mention Jalen Samuels was in there as well. So yeah. I mean, it, they they produce league all league backs, and if he wins that job, he has a chance. Quarterback Matt McKay will start and finish the season at quarterback. Yes. There you uh, go. True or false? Clemson will win the national championship for a second year in a row. False. Oh. Who wins? Alabama. Oh, oh man. God. I hope not. Me. I'm so sick of the SEC and we haven't even kicked I think, off uh, yet. I think Georgia finds a way to win win it this year. I oh, mean, have y'all seen Alabama's receivers? Oh, <sighs> they're crazy. They're yeah. The talent on that football program is just blows my mind every year. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just, just sitting just here. Georgia. And, I'm feeling Georgia. I don't know why. You may be right. Well, Georgia's talent-wise, I don't know if anybody lines up better with Alabama than than Georgia. Um, just pound for pound, if we're talking talent. But I was watching. Uh, I don't even know if it was Sports Center. They're talking about the comments that have made been made back and forth about you know Alabama to Clemson and, and how Clemson wasn't the best team they played all year. Yada yada yada. And they were already talking up the SEC and 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 you know taking shots at the ACC. And it just got my blood boiling at about 5 p.m. today. So. Um, yay football season. It's here. 
It is. Um, which team do you think wins the Coastal? Oh, man. And Virginia's due, right? Oh, I, don't I, hope I, I don't know if I need to say this on that on this podcast. Lord, but, I hope not. Virginia, I mean, they've been due for forever, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, what's the what's the stat? Like six in the last seven years, different teams have won the Coastal or some <laughs> six, crazy. It's six wild. different teams in the last wow. six years. And I so. just told you guys, NC State hasn't won a title in 30 years. Can we yeah. let's switch places? Was just However, hot take, hot take. If NC State was in the Coastal, they would have at least one division championship by now. I, I think so. I think so. I, 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 20, I think so. You look at 2017. Yeah, where they went six and two with their, you know, lost lost the home to Clemson by seven, and then lost sure. their wake by six. They could have won it that year. Sure, and look at the a few of the Russell Wilson years too. I, I think they yep. could have snuck one. Um, you know, and maybe right. it's maybe Tom O'Brien would still be the head coach. But uh, I don't know. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm gonna say Miami though. I think okay, Miami. yeah, that's safe. That's safe. I think Miami. I like okay. that pick. I, I don't even like that pick, but I think I like it better than Virginia. <laughs> uh, so agree or disagree, you know, Athlon had their annual college football preseason guide come out, and they're projecting NC State to finish fourth in the Atlantic. Agree I'd or assume, disagree? I'd assume Syracuse and FSU. Uh, head yeah, up. I, would have I, to I think it's probably transposed, but um, yeah, somewhere. I mean, I could see it, you know, um, it's – like I told you, man, you could pull. I think you could really pull any of those teams out, and any of them could finish second or second, third, fourth. I mean, I, that's not that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me at all. Okay, Tim, any uh, any other rapid fire questions? Yeah, I think I got a couple. Um, let's see, it's a summertime. What's a good quick fire rapid fire for the summertime? Ah, okay. You you got to eat a, a tomato sandwich. There's a gun to your head. Are you putting Duke's mayonnaise, Hellman's mayonnaise, or Miracle Whip on that bad boy? Wow. Uh, Dukes. My man. See, I knew you were good people, James. Dukes. Um, all right. So, Brightly for Jesse Jones. Jesse Jones. My man. All right. This is, this is going way better than I thought. Jesse Jones with the upset. I like that already. All right. So, uh, yeah. One last rapid fire. Uh, what was your most disappointing loss covering NC State? Oh, man. Um, football, basketball, does it matter? So let's pick stick one, pick with football here. I, I know you're going to need time to go through all the myriad of losses that have been really disappointing uh, for State, but what is the most disappointing football loss uh, you've seen, and did it happen in 2002? Man. Um, you got them throwing things, Tim. 2002? <laughs> yeah. No, you know, really it didn't. I would say the most disappointing loss was um, – it was it was the Clemson one and well, actually I got let me give you two. Okay. It was the Clemson one in twenty seventeen. NC State was undefeated in the ACC Ugh. hosting Clemson. You and Clemson, I believe at that point had already lost. I think they lost to Syracuse. They did. So State mm-hmm. wins that game at home and they finish um they they went they win the Atlantic. They would have clinched the tie for the Atlantic and would have won the division. That's my first one. The second one was twenty ten at Maryland with Russell Wilson. NC State oh, got up no. 14-0. Torrey, yeah. Torrey Smith had four touchdown receptions. If NC State won that game, the season finale, they'd have played Virginia Tech in, in the uh, ACC championship game and would have Man. won their first division title. That's a, that's an absolutely fantastic call. That that I totally blanked on the Maryland loss. That hurt. That was a bad one. Yeah, that um, game. Last rapid fire. We're going Twilight Zone here. It's an alternate universe. 
Chuck Amato is around for Russell Wilson's freshman year. <laughs> if Russell Wilson is Chuck Amato's quarterback during Russell's freshman year, Chuck Amato still the head coach at NC State. True or false? False. I, I no. mean, <laughs> I mean, I think I think Chuck had let it kind of get off the rails a little bit. But man, you he know, did. it's funny. He didn't even give Russell a chance. No. Didn't even give him a chance no. to win to win that job. Um, right. And when you look back on it, it's like really. Yeah, it's hard to imagine <laughs> Russell not winning any starting job ever. Um, but I always like to think about that. Chuck Chuck brought excitement to NC State in their football program like I'd never really experienced in my life. Um, and, you know, it, it wasn't sustained, but those were some magical years with T.A. McClendon and Phillip Rivers, so I'm not talking about many years. Um, but when those two actually did line up in 2002, that was, uh, that was special. That was really cool to see. Is it uh is it just me or does anyone else get tears in their eyes whenever they hear Chuck Amato talk? Oh, always. I love that man. I love Chuck. <laughs> His voice, <laughs> man. It just it would drive my tear oh, ducts my crazy. Gosh. My I only my would, only regret in life is that I didn't win Chuck's truck. That's my <laughs> only regret. We would have media availability with Chuck and some of the one liners he said, Oh my gosh, we'd be in there. I remember one time he t- he told one reporter to like, he said something, and the reporter asked him a, a, a question to answer it, uh, a question right back from it. He just all he said to him was, "Keep your eye on your paper so you don't get any pin on your pants." <laughs> and, and I don't know why I just had to I busted out laughing. He just didn't even answer the question. He just said basically like, "Quit looking at me." And I mean, and Ch- oh, I mean, he's Chuck great. Was, he's and, great. Yeah, and, and it, but it goes to show you, you know, when you're good, when you're winning, everything's great. I remember in '02. You know, NC State was sitting in 9-0, and top 10 in the country, and he right. had the sunglasses on, and everybody loved him. A year later, everybody hated those sunglasses because <laughs> they weren't winning anymore. And that's so just, true. That's just the way it is. I mean, you know, they can tolerate it when it when you're winning. Yeah. I mean, P.J. Flex got to look out. People are going to start really hating that tie here soon if oh, he yeah. doesn't start winning in Minnesota. Um, but so that that's that's really it. I think that's the last quick fire I had. Um but, you know, it's just funny to go back and think about some of those Chuck years and, and where NC State was, where NC State is now. I think they're in a fantastic place now. Uh, Doran really, really has the culture spot on at NC State. And I really hope it continues for a long time. It, it's one of those cultures that I, I, I know we're trying to build at Virginia Tech. Um, blue collar, tough as nails attitude. And I think that's part of the reason why we've seen so many transfers on Virginia Tech side is we had a lot of players that uh, seemingly, at least from the outside, didn't want to put in uh, maybe what was required of them or didn't want to live up to those standards. So, uh, you know, Virginia Tech fans out there, I think you can look to NC State and Doran as uh, hopefully where we'll be in a, in a couple years with Fonte if we can keep them around and, and keep that culture going in the, in the right direction. So... That's it for me. That's my soliloquy to end it. Uh, James, I just wanted to thank you for hopping on the podcast, man. It was awesome. Yeah, guys, anytime, man. Anytime, just reach out to me. I'll definitely join you. Good, because, you know, there's going to be some games to review. And, um, yeah, I, not a, not the biggest Tar Heel fan here, so you may have to be our in-house uh, Tar Heel expert as well. Oh, I can come on and trash them all you need me to do. That's there all we, we need. Just, just make sure Virginia Tech need. does their part. 
Hey, yeah, as long as we can keep doing that, I'll be happy with Fuente. But we can't we can't handle too many losses against uh, the boys in blue. That's for sure. Look, I'm, I'm a, before you guys go, I want to say I, I still can't believe Virginia Tech won that game last year against North Carolina. <laughs> and I, I, I can't you, believe we won a lot of games last year. I, amen. I don't know if you got, I'm sure you remember the specifics of it, but they were UNC, I believe, was walking it in for a touchdown. They were. With like four or five minutes to left. And just, oh, my gosh, I, that, that game – I was I was I'd a probably I had probably blacked out by that point, but I just remember <laughs> watching the game and just being so infuriated. Yeah, that I mean, going to possibly lose to North Carolina. It was a tough year. North Carolina is one of those teams I cannot stand to lose to. One because of my upbringing, but two, I don't know how you cheer for UNC if you're not a UNC fan. No offense if we have any UNC listeners, although I think at this time we've probably lost all of them <laughs> by right. like our third episode. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just, I can't stand it. And you talk about UNC last year, how we didn't end up losing that. How the heck did we beat UVA? Uh, there were, yeah, that one too. There were that multiple games like that. Crazy. And to think we just barely snuck in a bowl game. Um, yay. All right. We'll see how we do this year. All right. Well, thanks again, James. Uh, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, for everyone out there, be sure to go check out InsidePackSports.com if you have not done so. And uh, also, you got a podcast, too, as well. Why don't you go ahead and plug that? I do, yeah. Uh, our podcast is called IPS Live. Um, you can find us on, uh, I get it all confused, what is it, Android, Google Play, the, the apps, the Apple Store, all that stuff. We're, we're out there. You can find us. Just look up IPS Live. And we'll be talking. We talk NC State football, basketball. We do um, uh, um random stuff nba i do nba we do we talk about nfl we talk about a lot so it's not just specific to nc state oh good hey we'll have you back when we uh when we do some random nba podcast and and we can talk about that too um but i just wanted to shout out as far as inside pack sports go uh the premium content is absolutely fantastic i'm a member so i've kind of gotten a peek behind the curtain as far as all that goes um, and since the site started, the, the output has been absolutely incredible. So if you are an NC State fan or you have interest in NC State, uh, even tangentially, I recommend that you uh, go ahead and sign up for the premium content. Uh, you'll get articles, video breakdowns, uh, just some really fantastic stuff from, from James and company there at Inside Pack Sports. Okay, once again, thanks to James Henderson from Inside Pack Sports for coming on the show. Uh, I thought that was a great interview, Tim. What, uh, what really stood out to you? I mean, I think the most important thing is that he uh, takes Duke mayonnaise on his tomato sandwiches, and he's a Jesse Jones guy when it comes to the Battle of the North Carolina Red Hot Dogs. Um, in all seriousness, I think the level of the detail uh, that in the answers that we got from James was great. Um, speaking specifically about the culture of the program, I think is what I was most interested in, because to me, as an observer, I think that is this, the most stark contrast to where NC State is uh, now and from where they were in the years leading up. Um, Chuck Amato, Tom O'Brien years, I wouldn't say that the culture was right on those programs. Um, it, you know, it, there are always stories and rumors that you hear, and who knows how much truth is there. But with Doran, you, you really can get the sense that uh, the culture is right, blue-collar mentality, uh, grinded-out football team um, that'll lay it all out on the line for each other, and I think that goes much farther than just individual talent. So hearing James speak to some of that was really cool. Yeah, and you know, I think he's right that if NC State had been in in the uh, coastal over the last six years, they probably have one or two uh, ACC 
divisional titles. Um, oh, yeah. And they came oh, super yeah. close in 2017. I remember flipping on that Clemson game and being like, wow, this is actually going to happen. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's uh, another comparison of Virginia Tech. They're just one of those programs where they just have some of the most mind-numbingly awful losses that oh, just yeah. <laughs> really, oh, really kind of drain your soul as a fan. So uh, um, imagine supporting Virginia Tech and NC State. Imagine that kind of well, pain. Well, Tim, I'm, I'm an Orioles fan. Ah, so you get it. You get I, me. I definitely get it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you oh, know, man. just glancing at their schedule, they've, they've got a pretty good chance to, uh, to win some games early. You know, I think there's a good chance they run the slate in August and uh, at least to that last game in uh, September where they play at Florida State. I think that's going to be really their first big test. Always on the road at West Virginia is uh, a little yeah. bit questionable, but it's a it's a team that we'll uh, we'll have fun watching throughout the season, and yeah, uh, yeah let's see uh, let's see where they finish up. Not to steal a line from uh, Lee Corso, but uh, not so fast, sweetheart. Just a little worried about that ECU game uh, oh, come week on. one. Come on, no, no, no. Look, there's there's an emotional thing, no. and there's a historical thing with no. NC State and ECU. Kind of like Virginia Tech and ECU, where ECU just brings it uh, when they e- play those ECU ACC teams. Is so far in the gutter right now, like yeah. But they made yeah. a good coaching hire, and yeah. the coach is out for revenge. Not and I, I tell you what, revenge can fuel a lot of playing over one's head. And I'm just maybe it's the NC State fan in me, and I've been burned so many times. Yeah, I wouldn't be worried about that one. But I am. I'm gonna be worried about it, Justin. It's what I do. No. Uh, I would I would save your worry for another game later in the season, but uh, little other note: ECU I think did officially cancel the 2020 game against Virginia Tech, so I'm pretty sure that series has been completely eliminated. So fair enough. We'll see who uh, we'll see who the Hokies find as a uh, schedule filler, but sure. I can't wait to play Presbyterian. Oh yeah, I mean you know Mary Hart and Baylor, here we come. Oh, I get up for those games, Justin. Uh, so that's our show for today. We're Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can find us anywhere that you listen to a podcast. Apple Podcasts is probably your best bet, but Google Play Store, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher, or you can head over to chowderandgrits.com. Uh, if you're on Twitter, be sure to follow us. Uh, slowly growing the following over there. Facebook, we're over there. Instagram, you know, we're pretty much everywhere. You type in Chowder and Grits, hopefully we're the first thing that you find. Tim, <laughs> why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us? I've got a great idea. It's the original one. I just thought of it. You can leave us a five-star review, share our content. It helps us a lot with visibility. Um, and we'd be making these episodes if no one was listening, but it's really great to see that people are listening and, and listening in growing numbers. Uh, so again, share, leave the review. Uh, five stars is a huge help. Four stars, maybe talk to us before you leave the review. Um, but either way, uh, we appreciate you guys and, and really can't say enough about uh, how cool it is to see you tuning in in bigger and bigger numbers each week. So thanks again for all your support. And, uh, you know, we certainly look forward to, to talking at you next week. And uh, you know, for Justin and I, uh, that'll be it for us. And uh, we look forward to talking to you guys again. See you guys later.